0: Well, good morning to you. I'd appreciate it if you would uh, take your Bible. Let's uh, go ahead and begin in the Word of God in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, thankful on this Memorial Day weekend for all of those men and women who are in service and have been in service to give us some of the very freedoms that we have and that have been fought for. We're grateful for you. But Matthew chapter 6, this is the cure for anxiety in a pandemic age. It's part five, and I'm getting to that text in Matthew 6 where it tells us to not be anxious. In fact, sometimes as a Bible teacher, you are constantly looking for that key, or we would call it the lead verb, and the lead verb is going to Actually direct us to the theme of the author Which is the scripture that is written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God But look in Matthew chapter 6 And if you're kids watching today I want to be able to say There's some pictures that you might be able to draw from this So get a pad of paper Get your iPad open But here's the dominant theme Look in verse 25 Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount says to open, therefore, I tell you to not be anxious about your life. Look down in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Second time. Third time, the word anxious is used. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? If you look down in chapter 6, verse 31, therefore, the fifth time, or the fourth time, excuse me, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? If you go to the end of the chapter in verse 34, it's mentioned twice. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be, and there's the sixth time, anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There lies the dominant theme. To be anxious, or the word in the original language could just mean to worry. It just means to fear. It means to fret over the future. In fact, the English word comes from an old German word, and that old German word meant to choke, and it meant to strangle. Strangle. And often that's what anxiety can do. Just a few years back, I was at a wonderful wedding for a young man in our church, and the wedding was down in Los Angeles. And it, when I think of that wedding, I remember a couple things vividly in my mind. Uh, you remember that young man? His name is Andrew Voorhees. He's a large man and plays on the football team. At, USC, and two things struck me that day. One were his groomsmen that were flanking him at his wedding. It was the offensive line at USC. They were somewhere between 6'2 and 6'6, many of them over 330 pounds. It was the largest group of groomsmen that I had ever seen in my life, and that struck me. But then there was something else. I was eating. We were eating afterward at the reception, so joyful over the two that had become one life, and I turned around where I was eating, and I saw a a table full of people, and it was a table full of tears, and I, I knew something had happened, but here's what happened as I turned around. Troy Jackson at that wedding was popping in his mouth these little onion shallots, and he was kind of kidding, and he was just popping them into his mouth, these little round onions, and uh, just eating them like candy. And all of a sudden, those onions got lodged in his throat, and what went from being rather funny was to something very serious because he could not breathe. They got stuck in his windpipe, He began to turn color. Danielle Jackson, I think, had given him that onion shallot. At least that's what he told me. But he was losing it. It was a serious thing. And so he began to point that he had no breath. So Dan Jackson from our church came over to him. He was holding Charlotte. He put Charlotte in front of Troy, and he began to give him the the Heimlich. I mean, this thing was... It was lodged. He had no air coming through. And finally, he had to put Charlotte down. He was using her as a pillow to get that out. He put it down and just gave him a a, a burst. And out came that shallot to the relief of everyone. But as I turned and looked at the table, they were all in tears and grateful, at least at that point, happy that what, what could have took his life didn't. So I think it's interesting that word. It means to choke and it means to strangle. And so worry then came to speak then of mental strangulation is really what that etymology of the word is, at least from the German language. And then it came to mean not only just literally choking and strangling, but mental strangulation from anxiety, And possibly as we're finding ourselves in this age, you feel that way a little bit. One set of worry or anxiety, that worry if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. I think that's fair. You begin to worry about something in your life. You begin to worry about something in your family, something in your business, something in a relationship, something within this pandemic, and it begins to cut a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Businessmen, businesswomen um, torment themselves with imagined scenarios of what could take place if X does so and so, and then Y counters Mothers worry over the future of their children until it is their very future that is in question. Students worry over examinations, worry about their future interviews, worry about grad school, worry about money. Mothers worry, grandmothers worry, fathers, grandfathers. Kierkegaard said this, that no grand inquisitor has such terrible tortures as anxiety. Interesting statements. No grand inquisitor has such terrible tortures as anxiety. As we walk into the service this morning and hear the word of God, what are you worried about? What are you anxious about? I mean, today people consume pharmaceuticals and over-the-counter drugs, and they run to counselors by the millions. Maybe you know the number one cause of anxiety, at least this is what they say, that the number one cause of anxiety or worry is this, losing what you have. I mean, one way or another, it comes back to that, losing what you have, and if I put it in biblical language, you're fearful or worried of losing what you have, and it always pertains to the future. And so you might ask as you walk into the service today, is there a cure for anxiety? Is there a cure for worry? And I would say, absolutely, absolutely. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6. We read part of that passage, and I want to just set the context for you just for a brief moment. Look at verse 25. There's a huge word to begin that, at least in the ESV. He says, therefore... I tell you, and that word therefore is really a governor of what's preceded in the text, and what preceded in the text certainly could be all of chapter 6, but I think uh, specifically it's verses 19 through 24. It looks back to the two treasures, it looks back to the two set of visions, if you will, and it looks back to the two set of masters. It could directly go back, therefore, to verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money, some translation says, and mammon. In other words, these earthly treasures that we spoke of two weeks ago can steal your heart, They can blur your vision, and you are either a slave of God or a slave of money, and really where the Lord left us is this, you must choose. You have a choice between two treasures, two visions, and two masters. Now that thought, as we left off in verse 24, raises a question. I don't know if it's immediately in your mind. But if our allegiance, that he's master, is prioritized, it leaves the question, at least in the flow of the text, what do you say then, Jesus, about our needs? If he's our master and we're to seek first, down in 633, the kingdom of God, what about our needs? I, some might say, have a wife, I have children, I have a house payments. And some of you might say, I need a job. And Scott, though you tell us, and Jesus does, to not be anxious, you might say, I am anxious. I am worried. And then the question would be left as we walk into the text, how do I stop being anxious? That's the question. And this text is going to raise for us three reasons why anxiety is incompatible with our faith in our Heavenly Father, okay? Three reasons why anxiety, why worry, is incompatible with our faith in our Heavenly Father. I'm going to just hit on two of those reasons today, and we'll look at the third reason the next time that we gather together. Here's the big picture if you're taking notes, and hopefully you are, because, you know, we only get there probably once, and these are things you need to remember, not only in this age in which we live, but you probably need to remember these things the rest of your life and the rest of my life. Jesus is going to give us three reasons. Number one, he's going to state a principle, okay? He's going to give us a biblical principle, he's going to state that principle. Secondly, he is going to sketch a picture for us, okay? And then thirdly, he's going to secure a promise. All of that, that we might not be anxious. He gives us a principle. He gives us a picture to see it. And then thirdly, he's going to give us a promise that we can hold on to. And at the end of it is this. Don't be anxious because it is incompatible with your faith in your heavenly Father. Let's go to the text first. He states a principle, and it's found in verse 25. Look at it with me. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Do you notice those are will eat, will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. And then here's the principle. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Our Lord is giving us a sound biblical principle. The principle's bound up at the end of 25. Is not life more than, that's the the thought. It's more than, he states, their food, and the body more than clothing. The principle here would be this. If God already takes care of the greater gift, and that's life, can we not trust him to take care of the lesser gift, that's food and clothing? Lock that into your mind and heart. There's the biblical principle. If God, who has given you the greatest gift, life itself, and he has, then you don't need to be anxious about the things that we need Day by day. That's the principle. In fact, it's interesting, just in the language, it would say something like this, and it reads that way in 25. Stop, verse 25, being anxious. In other words, you are, and I want you to stop. And then if you glance down in verse 31, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, and it's a little bit of a nuance in the language so that 25 says stop being anxious and verse 31 says don't start being anxious and so as you listen this morning here would be the text if you've started stop and if you haven't started he says then don't okay that's the principle do not be anxious look at it again Uh, for your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, that's the principle, but you might say, how can he say that? How can he say that? You might be sitting there thinking, listen, if you've known the year that I've had, how could the Lord Jesus Christ say that? So, secondly, then, here, he not only states the biblical principle, but he sketches a picture for us. Okay? So I'm already in my application. He, he sketches a, a picture. And if you are watching here from home, if you're a child, you could be an adult. You can sketch a picture. Why don't you just put it, to, you could just write there in your notepad or your iPad. He's that picturesque as the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides then for us three pictures as to why we're to not be anxious. So the principle is stated, and then what follows are the reasons for the principle that he's just stated. And he highlights for us the reason why this anxiety is incompatible with our faith. And at the end of the picture is the caring heart of God Who is identified as our heavenly father. So here are these three pictures. Let me look at those with you. First is the picture of the birds. And the statement at least on the notes is your father has provided. The reason he can exhort you to be not anxious or not to be anxious is your father has provided. And it's a picture of the birds. Look at it in verse 26. Look, or in one translation, consider the birds of the air. Consider them. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then here we're back to the principle Are you not of more value than they? And so here's this picture of the birds, and with the thought, Are you not of more value than A? So here's the principle, but here's the answer in this picture, and the answer would be yes. Now, he gives this picture of the birds' look or consider the birds, and some people think that when the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching on that shoreline, which I have been, that they think a flock of birds just went by, and I suppose that could be true. It doesn't state that exactly he, it, could have even, it could have happened, it could have been that he's just using them because birds in those days were so common. And really the picture that he's giving here is that, and I don't want you to miss the simplicity of this, in fact look at it again just to make sure you don't miss it, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns. In other words, birds themselves do not engage, and we understand this from our community, in the agricultural process In other words, they don't sow into the crops. They don't reap, if you will, the harvest. They don't gather into barns. They don't gather into sheds what they have reaped. Now, don't miss me here, and I don't want to go too long on this. Birds are not lazy. They work hard. We know that. This is not an excuse in verse 26 for idleness, Birds do not just sit on a twig and wait for some food to just drop into their beaks. As one said, it doesn't just rain down worms. God feeds the birds, one scholar said, through an instinct that tells them where to find the food. And they go and they search for it, I would say they work for it. They gobble up, do they not, insects. They gobble up worms. They prepare their nest. They care for their young. They teach their young how to fly. They push them out of the nest at the right time. They migrate with the seasons. All of this work is to be done if they're going to eat. And they do it, if you will, by instinct. They don't say to themselves, I'm going to build bigger nests, I'm going to store more worms, I'm going to say to myself, bird, eat, drink, and be merry. No, 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 they don't do that. They work within the framework that God has designed in their instinct. And I just want to say here that in this picture, birds don't suffer hypertension due to stress. And here's the point. Just as your creator, just as your father provides for them, will he not do for you? In other words, the principle is, are you not of more value than they? And beloved, wherever you find yourself, next time you are tempted to be anxious or you feel choked or strangled, if you will, in your thoughts regarding the future. Rack your brains and remember that the birds of the air, that your Father feeds them even in the dead of winter. That's the picture here. Here's the picture of a Father that's provided. I think up on the screen comes Psalm 8. I think we know it well. The psalmist said, when I look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him man with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Now watch this. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, and here it is, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the pass of the seas. Beloved, it's this simple but this profound. If the birds are placed under your feet, then why would you be anxious when you have a heavenly father who cares for you? In fact, look down at the text again. He says, your heavenly father. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say their heavenly father. Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer to that question would be, yes. That is obviously a huge understatement. Now, there's a biblical theology of birds, but I give you just one cross-reference up on the screen. Look at it. Here's that comparison. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But not even the hairs of your head are, he says, says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Isn't that good? You are of more value than many sparrows. So at least in this injunction, as it relates to the future, stop worrying about your food as though you will not be able to provide when in fact your father who feeds the birds cares for you and the point beloved is if God provides for the birds will he not much more care for you he might say to us as he said to the disciples oh ye of little faith I like this little poem that is written by a woman at some point in the 18th century it's been made popular through different arrangements but It goes like this, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I think well said. Here's the first picture. Here's the first picture that he gives. It's this. Your heavenly father has provided. And if he's the provider of life and you are his child, that should be the death of anxiety. Anxiety is incompatible with our faith. But there's a second picture. Look at it. Verse 27. He says in verse 27, and which of you, he's reasoning with us, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. So not only, number one, is your father provided, but your future is decided. In other words, he's going to provide, but he's already decided your future. Now, there's some question here. I don't, I don't, it's okay. There's some question is, which of you by being anxious can add a, uh, sometimes we have a single hour. Sometimes it says can add a statue, if you will, or a statue, you know, can add a statue to your life. In other words, sometimes this is either referring to height or it's referring to a time span. If it's referring to a height, if you will, they would say this, this phrase here of, of the span of life used to speak of the length from the the finger all the way down to the elbow. It represented 18 inches. And the thought would be, hey, which of you by being anxious can add 18 inches to your life? Can you extend your life? But you can tell here in 27, the ESV is already translated, which of you by being anxious can add just an hour to the span of his life? And the answer, of course, would be No one can do that. I mean, I think you would agree with me that a man can worry himself to death, but he can't worry himself to life. And and this is interesting all by itself because people spend a fortune on vitamins, a fortune on health spas, a fortune on visiting every doctor in sight, or trying every diet on the market And the reason they do this, I suppose there's some value to that, but many people just fear death, and they seek to beat death. In fact, Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic, and that's not a reference for mayonnaise, okay, that's a reference to a research hospital, and the very man himself of the Mayo Clinic, Charles Mayo himself, said, worry affects the circulation, it affects the heart, it affects glands, it affects the whole nervous system. Mayo had said, he said, I have never known a man to die of overwork, but many who have died of worry. Worry. And here the Lord Jesus paints this picture of our future. He said, which one of you by being anxious, which one of you by worrying can add a single cubit or can add a single hour to his lifespan. Somebody said that the modern refrain today is this, worried, hurried, and buried. I mean, that's true. You can't lengthen it. It could shorten your life, but it's not going to lengthen it. Barclay, the commentator, said, there may be greater sins than worry, but certainly there is no more disabling sin. I thought that was well stated. There's greater sins than worry, but there may be no more disabling sin than worry because it can strangle, it can choke. Now listen, beloved, it's important to take care of your body, and it, but the, the truth is you're not going to extend it beyond the time frame that the Lord has set for you. We are in the hands of a sovereign God. In fact, up on the screen, it just says this in Psalm 39, Oh Lord, make me to know my end. Not the, I'm going to live forever. Help me to know my end. What is the measure? There's that measure, that stature. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days just a few hand breaths, And my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands, it says there, as a mere breath. Uh, let me say this, and this is just true. You don't determine the day of your birth, and you don't determine the day of your death. All of our days in Psalm 139 state this were written in the book when there was not yet one of them. You can't worry yourself to life. So here's the pictures the Father has provided, the future is decided. You're not going to be able to worry yourself to life. And then there's a third picture. And it's a picture about clothes. You can draw this if you would like. And I just put it this way to put it in a way maybe I can remember it, you can remember it, that your fashion is derided. Your fashion so is derided. He's talking about our Father. He's talking about our future. And he addresses here in this picture This picture our fashion, and he derides it. Look at it in verse 28. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spend. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not, there's our principle, much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. Here's the picture that he gives. Father, future, fashion. And he says there, look at the text again in 28, when he says, consider or observe the lilies of the field. There's some question as to what these lilies were. They have beautiful flowers in Israel. And I really just think here the term is for All the wildflowers that would uh, just appear in the spring on the hills of Galilee. The, The flowers, if you went at that time of the year, are just everywhere. It's beautiful on those hillsides. And at the right time of the year, they would be dotted with these lovely, beautiful flowers. But look at the point that he's making. Look back again at the text. He says here at the second part of 28, how they grow. They nire, neither, don't miss this, toil or spin. In other words, the birds are working, but their food's coming. And here, these flowers are growing, but they're neither toiling nor spinning. In other words, they're not working, they grow. The point would be without efforts. The flowers themselves as an entity are not making clothes for themselves, okay? They're not spinning fiber at some machine. And yet look what the Lord says in verse 29, I tell you, believer, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, In other words, they make the flowers no effort of their own. And for the richest man on the planet at that point, even in all his glory, he's not arrayed like one of these beautiful flowers. In other words, the Lord is saying, take the most glorious garment ever made for Solomon. You put it under a microscope, and it will look like a sackcloth. It would be like something that you would just pick up that would just say, "Ah, eh, that's okay. Say, so what's the punchline? What's the punchline? Well, it's in the text. Look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace or into the oven, will he not much more, there's our principle again, clothe you Oh, you of little faith, that's the punchline. You, you say, What's he talking about here in verse 30? It's alive today, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven. I, I could go into a whole history of that, but I won't. Women in those days would go into the field, they would collect the dry grass that at one point was beautiful, but then, like our summers, became dry. They would take those flowers that at one point were beautiful that would become dry and they would go take that dry grass, if you will, and those dried flowers and they would throw them into the oven that they used to cook upon and it was, I I call it kind of a kindling wood but it wasn't wood, it was this dry grass, this dry flowers at one point, beautiful grass at one point, beautiful flowers. And the point would be that if God so beautifully clothes what is transitory, how much more will God clothe his children whom he purchased at the infinite cost of his son? Our Lord is saying to you, don't be anxious. And here we're talking about clothing, we're talking about food. I'll refrain from what I could say, but... That's the question today. Is this in style? Does this look good on me? Do I look fat in this? Is this my color? Listen, the God, small g, of fashion is alive and well. In a culture that is obsessed with appearance, people are spending billions of dollars to look like someone else. But the truth is that someone said sooner, quote, sooner or later, dust wins. I like that. Dust wins. In other words, we spend our time about food and about clothing and all those things. And sometimes they can make us anxious whether you have nothing or whether you have massive amounts No wonder Peter gave this exhortation to women, and I think it could be given to men, where he said, do you remember in 1 Peter 3? Your adornment to women specifically must not be merely external. External. What's that? The braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. He said, did Peter, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. could be stated for women, obviously it was, and for men. But what's fascinating about the text, Jesus isn't done with you and he's not done with me. Look at the end of verse 30. You've seen this before. Oh, you of little faith. Now, we read that. I'm reading out of the ESV, OU, of little faith. But we like to say in the language, the word you is emphatic. You say, what does that mean, Scott? Well, it just means it's placed first. It's not a word OU. It's you, OU, you know, in that sense. And we write it this way. But it's you, the disciples of little faith. Now, I could take you on a journey in the New Testament. If we had more time, I would. But every time that phrase was used, I think it's five times, I'm fascinated. It was used of the disciples who were worried about food, worried about life, and worried about clothes. The very same thing that Jesus speaks about here. You, emphatic, you should know better. I would expect that, and I think he's being gentle, but just, hey, he's giving us an exhortation. You, I'd expect that out of the world, but you? I mean, beloved, if he feeds the birds, if he clothes the lilies, will he not feed and clothe you? That's the point. O men, or O you of little faith, if your father feeds the birds, will he not furnish you with your daily needs? If your father knows the future, should you be frantic? Listen, some of you are new believers. Some of you have broke free from the shackles of sin. And he's saved you. And he's redeemed you. And he broke you free from the power of Satan. He gave you eternal life, but you just don't think he can get you something to eat or wear tomorrow. Or he can't take care of your family tomorrow. Or you're a mother or you're a grandmother and you're just fearful of something and you're anxious about something with your children or your grandchildren. So he can redeem you, he can save you, he can wipe your sin away, he could put it in the deepest part of the sea, he could bury your sin behind the back, he could cast your sin as far as the east is to the west, but he just can't take care of your future job. Think about it it's amazing, it's ridiculous, it's silly, if I could use that word. Anxiety, our Lord is gently saying to us, is incompatible with our faith. Romans 8.32 says, if God did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not freely give you all things? You say, is there a takeaway here? Yeah, there's a takeaway. Look down at the text, verse 31. And the reason I always point you to look down at the text, I... I always want to tell young preachers that. Here's the takeaway. It's in the text, verse 31 and 32. Therefore, there's a second therefore. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we wear? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and he just means the pagans, seek after these things, all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows, Matthew 6, if you looked earlier in the Sermon on the Mountain, verse 8, he knows what you need even before you ask him. And so he said, do not be like them in chapter 6, verse 8. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the unbelievers. You, you of faith. And you know, just a little word you notice that he didn't say you have no faith. He said your faith might be little, and he's actually trying to strengthen us. Let me say this very clearly to you. And let me, you can write this one down. Anxiety ultimately, biblically, okay, is a failure to trust God completely as your heavenly Father. At least in the text. We can say all we want about it. I can quote the statistics and I didn't. But at the heart of it is a failure to trust God as your heavenly father. Anxiety and worry, let me say this, is the opposite of contentment. And again, it's probably easier for me to say than live, but I preach to myself too. I have a quote here that I, I was, was going to take it out, <laughs> and I didn't, and I was going to take it out because I thought it might be a little harsh, and it may be, <laughs> you tell me, but I also think it's true, and, and I do think the Lord is after a verdict, all writers of the scripture are after a verdict, they don't just pick up their pen and kind of doodle. Jesus didn't say, look at the birds of the air and look at the lilies of the field and consider the span of life. He isn't just talking. He had a verdict. And preachers should have a verdict, and this one is by A.W. Pink. Let it sink in, but I think I give it to you as just a thought here of how serious this is. He said, not only is such anxiety, quote, wrong, but it is a sin of great gravity. It is not, Pink said, something we can just excuse as a mere trifle. Pink said it is rather a foul iniquity from which we should seek cleansing, to be fearful about the supply of future needs To be worried that we may be left to suffer some lack of temporal necessities is to be guilty, he said, of wicked unbelief. Now, you might not think that. You might think, hey, sexual sin is really bad. Hey, somebody on drugs or alcohol is really bad. Pink is saying is this, this, you'll be guilty of wicked unbelief. Here's what Pink went on to say. It manifests a lack of faith in his wise and gracious providence. It betrays doubt in our Father's love. And surely these evils, Pink said, are of the deepest dye. Such distraction of mind in reality. He said the workings of covetousness, The lusting after things, he said, we have not, which is a sin of great magnitude. And then here's his prayer. Oh, that the spirit may convict us of this wickedness and subdue this iniquity. That's strong, isn't it? Let me just put, just for a few more minutes, some skin on this passage for you. I mean, that's the verdict. And you might have been listening to me and thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but what about you? What, what's going on with your life and your heart? And most of the skin in this passage by way of application is the scripture. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy, I think it comes up, 6, 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be what? Content. Remember I said just a minute ago, anxiety and worry are the opposite of contentment. If you have food and covering, Paul told Timothy, with these we shall be content. In other words, it's just enough. And so many of us, at least living here in central California, have so much. And that's an understatement. If you've traveled anywhere in the globe, vast amount of people... Don't live close to just suburbia or rural America. Hebrews, the writer says, be sure, and I'm tying this back to verse 24 before 25. Be sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Listen, apply that. Of course, we know Philippians by heart, but can you can you finish the statement with me? 4 6, be anxious for what's the answer? Nothing. The reason he can say that in Philippians 4.6 is he said down in that passage, you can memorize that, write that down, kids, in your notes, that my God, 4.19, shall supply all your needs. He didn't promise to supply you with all your greed. He promised to supply you with all your needs. Do you remember what Peter said I'm just asking you to to put this passage into your heart. Put some skin on this one, what Peter said when he said to cast all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's verse 31 and 32. He cares for you. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Are you not of more value than they? The answer would be yes. You know, we don't have the time, but you go through the Sermon on the Mount, it'd be a great exercise for you this week. I believe 17 different times in the Sermon on the Mount, the word there, the the, the word stated is about our Father. 17 times. In fact, the root of worry The root of anxiety, as I mentioned, is a lack of faith in our Heavenly Father. When we fail to trust our Father, worry sets in. And I put this in my notes. I probably shouldn't have. I said, when we fail to trust our Father, worry sets in and it can overwhelm us. What a weak word. When you fail to trust your Father it can strangle you. That's the point. It's not just overwhelm you. I mean, maybe that's okay. You you just feel like you're choking. You're being strangled, and so you've got to get back to the Father. Anxiety, beloved, is rooted in trying to care by myself for which only God can actually do. It is trying to care by myself for that which only God can do. And if it's up to you, then you're going to feel anxious and choked. Anxiety reigns in our life. You can write this one down. It might help you. When we think or act as if something ultimately is up to me rather than God. If it's up to you, then be worried. (laughs) Be anxious. But if it's up to God, then you can trust him for that. Anxiety has to do, I'll pinpoint it for you. It has to do with the desire to control things, to control things either physically or materially bottom line. That's where control comes in. Listen, that's not an easy thing to swallow by pink and there. I just want to encourage you, you just have one thing to do. One thing to do. You say, well, Scott, what is it? It's in the text. It's, I'll get there. Look at verse 33. Seek first His kingdom or the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The Gentiles seek after stuff. You and I ought to seek after His kingdom. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. He loves these disciples. They were fearful. We get fearful. They were worried. We get worried. They were anxious. We get anxious. But here, here's, the, here's the point, I think you can see it. It's in, incompatible with our faith. He states a principle, and then secondly, he sketches a picture of the father, of the future, of fashion, okay, and with this in mind, therefore, do not be anxious. He doesn't want you to be anxious, but if you're anxious, if you're worried, you can Pray over these things. You can cast all your anxiety upon him. In fact, I'm looking at right now at one of our members who was supposed to get married yesterday and he couldn't get married yesterday. You can cast every anxiety on him and my friend knows that and he knows what you're facing in the future. So we have a great God. Run to him. Love him. But it's incompatible to our faith because of all that he's done.